Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Jeep Underwood, and uh, I have a stand because I'm old school. Uh, today we're going to be starting a, a new message series called Convinced, like Barry was talking about. And we're going to be looking at uh, the impact in the world really happens by convinced people. And that's what I'm going to be looking at today is really the impact of a convinced person. Uh, you don't have, uh, well, we just finished Christmas season, and there's a movie that's very popular this time of year, and that's uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Now, we all want lives that matter, and I think one of the reasons that movie is so popular is because a man gets convinced that his life doesn't matter. And then by the end of the movie, he becomes convinced that it does matter. And there's something in us that just resonates when our when our life matters. It's just something... I can barely watch that movie anymore. When you turn 47, you can't watch movies that you watch when you're 20 very well sometimes. But, you know, it, the world is, is impacted by convinced people. And just a couple of quick examples would be like George Washington. You know, our country wouldn't exist except that George Washington was convinced that he couldn't give up. And then uh, you look at Abraham Lincoln. The reason our country still exists and... Slavery is no longer a part of the American experience is because Lincoln was convinced that he had to protect the Union at all costs. And both those men had a huge impact on the world. Um, Now, to be able to have that kind of impact, you really need to understand how life really works and be convinced of the right things. You know, God really, he's the one who designed reality and designed the way life works. And when the things that you're personally convinced of line up with how life really works, the result is really impact in your world. And uh, it's very important that we become convinced of the right things over time. So how do we do that? How do we become convinced of the right things? Now, next week we're going to look a lot more in detail on that question. But this morning I just wanted to uh, touch base here just a little bit with... uh, a couple of guys in the New Testament, Paul and Timothy. Paul, he wrote, he wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament and uh, had a huge impact on the world. And he had a protege, Timothy, who really kind of went with him everywhere he went. And they both together with a team of others really made a huge impact. In fact, there's a part in Acts where when they come to town, people go, here's the men who turned the world upside down. And now they're here too. And let's take a look. We have a letter from Paul. The last letter we have from Paul was 2 Timothy and is written to Timothy, his protege. And I'd like to take a look at 2 Timothy 1.12. And what Paul says here, he says, For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Paul had become convinced of many things over the course of his life as he was living it. He'd become convinced that God was really real and that God was really communicating to the scriptures. He became convinced that God really cared about him and that he had really designed him in such a way to really have a mission of impact to other people. And he he became really convinced that God was completely in control of the many things he became convinced of. He was convinced of those things. And the reason was that he pursued knowing God and he really begin to understand who God was and really like what he was like and where God was coming from. And that so it led to him being a very, very convinced person. Now, 
about a page later, about a page later in the letter, uh, this is what he tells Timothy, and this is in Second Timothy uh, three fourteen. He says, "You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them." He says, "Continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of." A big component of becoming in the, convinced of the right things is really having a learner's heart and really learning from God and from the people that have learned to walk with God so that you can really then yourself become convinced of the things that, of things that are really real and how reality really works so that your, your life could also have an impact. Now, knowing God and being a learner are just two of the major elements for becoming a convinced person and becoming convinced of the right things. So, we're, like I said, we're going to talk more about that next week. But I'd like today, I'd like to look at a, I'd like to look at a man who lived about 1,800 years later than these two men, and the impact that he had. Um, we're going to look at a man named William Wilberforce, and William Wilberforce, very, he, he's a member. Of, he was a member of Parliament in 1780. That's when we were fighting our War of Independence, and he became a member of Parliament when he was only 21 years old, and. Uh, he, I want to kind of just set, I'm going to give you just kind of a quick framework of, of the story and what, what it is he did. Uh, he, he became a member of parliament. Now, slavery was, was deeply entrenched in the British economy and the British empire, just like it was in the U.S. In the U.S., it took the extreme measures of the Civil War and extreme cost. Over 600,000 uh, men were killed uh, before slavery was eradicated in, in the United States. In England, they legislated it out of existence. They, they actually voted it down. And that was a huge accomplishment because, like I said, the economy was really wrapped around it like it was here. Very similar, but not exactly the same. And uh, he, Wilberforce, after he became a, a member of parliament, he became convinced. He, he became a believer, became a Christian. He became convinced that God had really placed him in parliament for the purpose of abolishing the slave trade. And he began to really work to that end. And so starting in 1787, he began to really push for it. And he put a bill up in Parliament, and it was resoundingly defeated. And then for the next 10 years, he just continued to push until it was defeated again. And then he, uh, he pushed, and he faced op- major opposition from the people in the, from all the forces that were there politically for 20 years. And then there came a point in time when public sentiment and, pub- and political sentiment begin to turn the corner, and in February 23, 1807, the slave trade was voted out of existence. It was abolished. And what I want to do right now, there was a movie made about Wilberforce's life called Amazing Grace. And I'd like us to just watch a clip of what happened in the chamber when, when uh, this slave trade was voted down. And it's a pretty accurate depiction of what, what happened when, as you read his biography. Let's take a look at that. The Home and Foreign Slave Trade Act, the unamended bill calling for the abolition of the slave trade throughout the entire British Empire. Nose to the left, 16. Eyes to the right, 283. Abolition of the slave trade 
to be passed. Bless a belief. What does that mean? It means my nobility obliges me to recognize the virtue of an exceptional covenant. people speak of great men, they think of men like Napoleon, men of violence. Rarely do they think of peaceful men. But contrast the reception they will receive when they return home from their battles. Napoleon will arrive in pomp and in power, a man who has achieved the very summit of earthly ambition. Yet his dreams will be haunted by the oppressions of war. William Wilberforce, however, will return to his family, laying his head on his pillow. And remember, the slave trade is no more. That was, a, that was an amazing moment in British history. That was an amazing moment in world history. Um, and that's a pretty accurate depiction of what happened there. Um, when uh, the other gentleman said that, William Wilberforce began to weep. Because it matters. Um, and what's amazing is that 22 years earlier, Wilberforce wasn't convinced of any of those things that led to that moment. He wasn't convinced of any of those things. And what I want to do today is just walk through four things that Wilberforce became convinced of and just kind of show you like how it is he became convinced of them. Ah. Uh, Wilberforce became convinced that God is real and that he is communicating to us through the scriptures. He became convinced of that. Um, the, the reality behind that is you, you can really see it in Isaiah 55, 1 through 3. This is a passage where God uses a metaphor of uh, wine, milk, and bread for his teachings and for the word of God. 
And he says this. He says, Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. With, uh, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. This is a, that's an amazing offer. God really desires that we would really learn how life really works. And he has really set the table with his teaching. And all we have to do is sit down and begin eating and begin connecting with his word and him. And, uh, you know, Wilberforce, you know, he, uh, he was born into a very wealthy family. He, uh, this is how he, be- he kind of became convinced of this. He, uh, he lost his father at a young age. And at 10, his mom got sick and she sent him to his aunt's house for a couple of years. She sent him there and he was being raised by his aunt. Now, what her mother, his mother didn't know is that his aunt had become a Christian and that her whole circle of friends were some of the most renowned people in evangelical Christianity. There was John Wesley, there was George Whitfield, there was John Newton. And John Newton was her pastor. And uh, Wilberforce comes into that. Now, John Newton is the man who was a slave trade captain. He was a slave boat captain. He, he, he became a believer. He's the one who wrote Amazing Grace that we all, we all love so much. So he was a man who was really marked by the grace of God. So Wilberforce, as a young boy, got to know him. And then his mom found out that there was this influence going on, and she pulled him back when he was 12. And she spent the next several years making sure that he had no more influence like that. And he, at 17, he went to Cambridge, did really well. He met the future prime minister of England, became good friends with him. And then at 21, he was elected to parliament. Now, he was a very wealthy man, and what wealthy people do is they have a lot of time for leisure, and they have a lot of money to go be leisure with. And they like to go to the French Riviera. So he, he decided with a group of others to go to the French Riviera. Now, that took like, a four, it's like four weeks to go in carriage to the French Riviera. Now, it gets really boring if you're sitting by yourself in a carriage. So you got a good friend of his, and they, they just talked for four weeks. Could you imagine going on a trip like that? So he... They just talked about everything. They debated things. They just, uh, the guy he went with was a very brilliant man. Uh, and then they, got, they, they began debating things about Christianity and, you know, what's that all about? And they began to be kind of interested in the things they were talking about with Christianity. And they got to the French Riviera. They went to a house uh, where his cousin, his cousin uh, Wilberforce's cousin, had a home there. And there was a book laying on the table, and it was called The Rise and Fall of Religion in the Soul. And they went, man, that's, we were talking about this kind of stuff. And so they grabbed the book, and right then Wilberforce was told he's got to go back to England because there's a problem in Parliament he's got to handle. And so they get back in the carriage, and they drive four weeks to go back. So as they're going back, they're reading this book with each other, and they're talking about it and, and really talking about the claims of the book and just the logic of the book. And they get back, and it really piqued their curiosity. They begin to really think about the claims of Christianity. And then... Uh, they, Wilberforce took care of what he had to and then he, they went back to the Riviera because they were going to go meet up with the people that he went down there with so you can imagine I mean, this kind of time but they got into there and this time they took with them a New Testament they took a New Testament with them and they thought and Wilberforce wanted to check and see what it really said and what was, what was really being said in the scriptures and so they did that they went down they read this Greek New Testament as they went down there and they 
were talking about it and debating it, talking about it. By the time Wilberforce got back to England, he was convinced that God was real and that the scriptures were true. He became convinced of that just by getting into it and letting them speak to him. Uh, but the uh, the only he only saw really how far he had fallen short, and he he began he began to see that he felt like he had wasted his life, and and he uh, began to think that he really maybe what he needed to do is leave Parliament and devote his life to a life of service. Anyway, let's look at his. Uh, if you go to the next slide, uh, look at uh, his quote by Wilberforce in his diary at this time. He says, what madness is this course I'm pursuing? I believe all the great truths of the Christian religion, but I'm not acting as though I did. He was just really conflicted because he believed it was true, but he just couldn't connect to it. And then he thought, and this is the the second thing he became convinced of, was he became convinced that God cares and that he desires to teach and train us so that our lives turn out well. He became convinced of that. And the... The reality behind that, real quickly, I want to just look at Deuteronomy 5.29. This is, this is God talking to uh, the Jewish people. And he said, Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it may be well with them and with their sons forever. The word that really strikes me in that passage is the word oh. He says, oh, that they would do this. See, God longs for us to listen to him and really to put into practice the things he says so that our lives can really turn out well and that we can really have an impact. Now, the other side of that is, and you look at Jeremiah 29, 12-13. Uh, this is also God speaking to the Jewish people. He says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. God has like a heart monitor in each one of us. And as soon as a heart truly turns towards him, God responds without fail every single time. And that's exactly where, that's exactly where Wilberforce's heart was right then. And he was seeking God and God connected with him. Now, a thought went through Wilberforce's mind. He, he was trying to figure this out and he was thinking about leaving Parliament and he was telling people he was thinking about leaving Parliament. And he thought, I'm going to go talk to old John Newton. I remember that pastor that I that my aunt used to uh, was connected with. So he he went back and he he got some he he scheduled an appointment with John Newton. And it was that meeting turned out to be a very pivotal event in Wilberforce's life, because the man who wrote Amazing Grace was just the man to introduce him to the grace of God. He introduced him to the grace of God that he was okay with God because of what Jesus had done. And he didn't have to earn anything. And then he also gave him advice. He, he had, the advice he gave him was that he should remain in Parliament because God had uniquely placed him there to make a difference. He, he had a place and an opportunity that most people didn't have and that that was no accident. And so uh, that, was the, that was the advice that, uh, that Newton gave him, which was very, very pivotal in his life. Now, what I want to do is, is just show you a couple of diary entries that Wilberforce had similar right at this time and kind of see what he thought of this meeting that he had with, with uh, Newton. Uh, his first quote is, he, he said, Much affected in conversing with him, something very pleasing and unaffected in him. 
He told me that he had always entertained hopes and confidence that God would sometime bring him, me to him. And what, he, what John told him was that he had been praying for him since he was a boy. And that he had these hopes that God would bring him back to him. And that he would have an opportunity to really help him become convinced of the things that really mattered. And then he also, the next quote is, Wilberforce said that when he came away, he found my, I found my mind in a calm, tranquil state, more humble than looking more devoutly up to God. Wilberforce had made a real connection with God. He had really connected because his heart had reached out and God really responded to him. And he became convinced of that. Now, Newton, even though he was 35 years older than uh, Wilberforce, became, he and Wilberforce became very close friends. And uh, he really became a mentor to Wilberforce. In fact, every Saturday you'd see Wilberforce's carriage parked at his house, parked at Newton's house. And the, he was there like every Saturday. Uh, he started going to Newton's church so he could hear his teaching and hear from the pulpit. And John Newton began to get him established in like how to walk with God. He, he got him reading the Bible, studying the Bible, learning how to pray. And then he, said, he would give him books to read. And then the Wilberforce would go read them. And then they would talk about it. And they would they'd really uh, talk about a lot of things together. And then uh, Newton would tell Wilberforce of speakers he got to hear. And Wilberforce would go listen to these speakers. And then they would talk about it. And they would, they would converse about it. And he, Newton became a very big part of Wilberforce's life and really helped establish Wilberforce's walk with God. Which leads us to the next thing that Wilberforce became convinced of. Within about a year of that experience, he became convinced that the God has a mission for each of us for which he has uniquely designed and placed us. God has a mission for each of us for which he has uniquely designed and placed us. And the reality of that, you can, you can see in Ephesians 2.10. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. One of the great kindnesses of God, beyond saving us and, and his grace that did that, was the kindness of of designing us and placing us and preparing a way for us to have a life that really matters. We have, we have this, God has designed and he has prepared a life that really matters for us. And we, it's steps that we need to step into. And it's something that God's really, it's really a part of the way he's wired things is he has something for us to do. Now Wilberforce, as he was growing in God and getting to know him and learning, this is a quote from his, uh, from a letter that he wrote to someone. And he said this, he said, God Almighty has set before me two great objectives, the suppression of the slave trade and the reformation of manners, morals, which he meant people learning how to really walk with God. So he, he became very convinced that that, is, that was the reason why God had placed him in Parliament was the suppression of the slave trade. And that moves to the, the, the last thing that I want to cover this morning. is just what uh, He became convinced that God is completely in control of everything. As he walked with him, as he experienced life hand in hand with God, walking humbly with him, he became convinced that God is completely in control of everything. Now, just to show you the, the reality behind that, let's just look at Isaiah 46, 9 through 11. This is God, God speaking again to the Jewish people. He says, Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. 
I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, My purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure, calling a bird of, the prey, bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country. Truly I have spoken. I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. Surely I will do it. Nothing gets in the way of anything that God wants to have done. And that's, that's a reality. And Wilberforce, over the course of time, became convinced of that. I want to walk through real quick. You know, in, in 1787, he put in the bill, and it was resoundingly defeated. He was 27 years old. In 1791, he was 32 years old, and they had ramped up to another big attempt for the slave trade to be voted out of existence. And it failed. And then the he and the guys that were working with him, they pulled out all the stops. They began to do all kinds of investigations. They began to go visit slave ships. They began to get accounts from people. They, they got all this evidence of the horrors of the slave trade. And they began a big public relations campaign where they disseminated that and informed the public of what was really happening in the slave trade because it was kind of out of sight, out of mind for the British public. And over the course of five years, they ramped up to one big push. And in 1796, when he was 36 years old, it was defeated again by four votes. Four votes. And it was just a, it was a devastating defeat for him and the guys with him. But something else was going on. And one thing that was going on is there was a war with France going now. And people began, there began to be this public sentiment against him and then the political sentiment against Wilberforce. People began to wonder, is he like with the French? Because if, if we get rid of the slave trade, it's going to diminish our economy. And then French will win the war because we don't have the money. And they, they, they saw it as like coming against uh, the national interest. And the tide really turned on him. And he became, he became, um, it was very, very hard on him. And he, he considered strongly quitting. He was seriously considering resigning from Parliament and, for, and leaving the public life so he could go back and, uh, and just uh, and not have to deal with all that pressure and opposition all the time. And he was seriously considering this. What I want us to do right now is I want us to listen to some encouragement that John Newton wrote him in some letters. Now, they didn't have uh, Facebook and email they actually did something like write letters back and forth, and they would you know, want to really put down what they were thinking, and they'd write it down. And I'm going to show you three excerpts that John Newton wrote uh, him through this period when he was considering this. The first one from a letter, he says, But I would leave a more favorable impression upon your mind before I conclude. The Lord reigns. He has all hearts in his hands. He is carrying on his great designs in a straight line, and nothing can obstruct them. Newton was just reminding Wilberforce of what they both were personally convinced of. And that's how he was encouraging him. He's just reminding him of the truth of that. The next quote is, he says, Nor is it possible at present to calculate the advantages that may result from your having a seat in the house at such a time as this. You are not only a representative for Yorkshire, you have a far greater honor of being a representative for the Lord in a place where many know him not, and an opportunity of showing them what are the genuine fruits of that religion that you are known to profess. He's, he, he told him, 
Wilberforce, there's so much good that you're doing where you're at. There's people that are understanding what it looks like to be a believer in the political arena. You're, you're having an impact that you don't even understand. And he's, he's just encouraging and reminding them of those things they're convinced of. And the last quote I want to look at is, he said, you live, Newton tells Wilberforce, you live in the midst of difficulties and snares and you need a double guard of watchfulness and prayer. But since you know both your need of help and where to look for it, I may say to you, as Darius said to Daniel, thy God whom thou servest continually is able to preserve and deliver you. Daniel's like, Daniel likewise was a public man and in critical circumstances, but he trusted in the Lord. He was faithful in his departments. And therefore, though he had enemies, they could not prevail against him. Again, just reminding him that there was nothing in the way of what God was doing and that all he had to do is he had to stay in the game. And so it was only 10 more years. So you can imagine him carrying all of that opposition, all of that uh, hardship. He kept pushing this. And for 10 years, he continued. And then February 23rd, like I said before, 1807, and what you saw in the clip, the slave trade was abolished. He was 47 years old. Uh, the same age that I am. And uh, he, had a, he, he had, as God had enabled him, had a huge impact on the world then and the world now. Now, as I, as I just wrap up, I want to just end with this. Wilberforce, he continued to walk with God and to do good the rest of his life. He was in Parliament for quite a while longer. He died when he was 74 years old uh, in 1833. Three days before he died, on July 26, 1833, he was told that the abolition of slavery itself was going to be voted on, was going to be approved by the Parliament the next month. And so when he died, he knew that slavery itself was going to be abolished through the entire British Empire, not just the slave trade, but the very roots of slavery itself. And one year later, a year later, the law that was passed on July, on July 31st, 1834, was the day that was marked for all the slaves to go free in the entire British Empire, all across the world. And on that last night, all of the slaves that were in the West Indian Islands climbed up into the hills and looked out over the ocean and waited for the sun to rise. Because with the sun came their freedom. And the next morning, 800,000 people were no longer slaves. Wilberforce had had an impact on the world that just continued to reverberate even after his death. And I would argue is continuing to this day. He was an inspiration to uh, those in the, in the Civil War. He was an inspiration to Abraham Lincoln and had a, had a lot to do with some of Abraham Lincoln's thought processes. He connected to several presidents after 1807 in the United States. He, he just had a huge impact throughout his life, and that re impact reverberated through history. If... Uh, and I'd like to just end with this thought. If we decide, if each of us decide to walk humbly with God the way that he did 
and we become convinced and we, we, we pursue knowing God and we, we put ourselves where we can learn from God and we become convinced of the things he was convinced of, then our lives can really have a huge impact too. And um, that's, really, that's, really my, uh, that's really my hope for my life and I'm sure for many of you that would be your hope. Now, as I'd like to ask for the band to come up as I talk about next steps um, and wrap up. The next each week we we talk about next steps. We just kind of give suggestions of ways that you could respond to the message. Now it could be as you were listening today, God really highlighted something. Maybe something you thought, you know, I need to think about that, or I need to work on that, or I I need to think of, I need to study that, or figure that out. If, if there's something like that, that's your next step. Write that down. But here's a few, a few suggestions. One thing you could do is you could begin or continue the pursuit of knowing God through the Scriptures, like Wilberforce. Another thing you could do is you could, you could evaluate the things you're convinced of and the results you're having. Look at the results you're having in your life, the things you're dealing with, and count backwards and, and think, well, what am I convinced of that's leading me here? And you could maybe see some things that you need to, uh, you need to work on. And then maybe another way of, another thing you could do is you could position yourself to learn from God, either through the, you know, through the Word, through other people that walk with Him, or through groups, the groups that are starting up uh, here in a few weeks. Uh, or we have a blank line there. You could fill that out if there's something that God spoke with you. Uh, let me pray for us, and we'll get back to uh, worship. Dear God, Father, uh, we're very grateful for the men and women who have gone before us who were committed and they were convinced of the things that really mattered. And God, we thank you for the impact of their lives on ours. And I pray, God, that, that for each one of us, that our lives, too, would matter. That we would, we would pursue you and we would learn from you. And that uh, the way that we would choose to then live would really have an impact. In Jesus' name, amen.